Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter welcomes Dr. Jamie Zuckerman to discuss when narcissists refuse to accept your boundaries. Hey there, Team Healthy. I am so pleased with the person that we're going to be interviewing uh, today, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. And uh, first, Jamie, uh, I'm so pleased, Dr. Z, as you're uh, affectionately referred to, thanks for being with us on the program, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, now you're in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. I didn't know where Mm -hmm. Ardmore was until I I learned that that's Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. Okay, so uh, it's been a while since I've been up in that part of the world, and and you are uh, an author. You have a, a private practice of counseling. Um, now, I understand that you work with individuals on relational and mood disorders and things of that nature, but mm-hmm. uh, a couple of books you have are workbooks, and they intrigue me, and we're going to be getting to these as we uh, go along in our discussion today. Uh, uh, one of them is a workbook entitled Find Your Calm, and the other is Find Your Good Habits, and uh, our audience can look up those on um, Amazon.com. Um, but uh, I want to talk with you today about your understanding of narcissism and then specifically our need to have proper boundaries and responses to individuals that come at us with those kinds of ingredients. So uh, let's Mm kind of go into that. Does that sound pretty good to you? Sounds good. All right. That's right up your alley, I'm hoping. 
Um, okay, first, let, let, let's get a little bit of background. Now, I mentioned okay. that you work with individuals who have emotional and relational difficulties. How did you get into the field in the first place? And then uh, as time has gone on and you've gained experience, how did you start zeroing in on that whole issue of narcissism? So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Um, so I got into psychology because I loved the brain, plain and simple, had nothing to do with emotions or anything. I just am and still I'm fascinated with the brain. Um, so that's how I got into psychology, but then I started getting interested in behaviors and how behaviors work and how behaviors are linked to our moods and, and all that. So, um, that's how I got started in that and worked for a while in different hospitals and eventually went into private practice. Um, and then I would say, you know, just like you said, over time and, and with experience, I started, um, I saw mostly women initially. And so they would come in with a lot of really, you know, depression and anxiety, but a lot of relationship issues. And some were toxic, but were pattern related that could be, you know, improved in couples therapy, whereas some fit a very specific blueprint. And, um, which was that kind of narcissistic behavior or having a partner with narcissistic behavior in this very distinct blueprint. And I just, um, one, I felt that there wasn't a lot out there at the time from like a very hands-on perspective. Um, people that I was working with, at least that they didn't know the name for it. That was a big thing just to give them a name for it, that it wasn't them. They're not crazy that this is a thing. Um, giving them a name for it and giving them this roadmap to follow so that they felt empowered. And I just, I found that so many, and again, particularly women, but not just women, they just felt so helpless and hopeless and no direction of how to deal with this. And it was so chaotic and they felt so lost. And so that's kind of, I felt a pull to help them through that because it's, you know, I say this to everybody, it's probably one of the most difficult things that they'll deal with and ever go through. And at the same time, when you have that point, and I'm sure you've seen this a million times, when they get it, there's this moment of like, you know, this like light bulb the moment. moment. It's, the light the bulb. aha moment. And it's one of the few um, therapy processes. I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, where you see that. Mm. You know, like with depression and anxiety, it's kind of gradual, it's over time. Um, maybe not so much with a phobia, but like it's gradual over time. But with this, there's that distinct moment where they get it. And I found that to be, I hate saying interesting because it's just a tough topic, but I found that to be the most interesting thing. And um, I knew that there was a point that people could get to that would mean they're going to be okay. And I think as a psychologist that 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 helped me work with them. Dr. Zuckerman, one of the things, and when I would, I would also uh, treat people with uh, mood disorders, and particularly when you're talking about depression and anxiety, like you're saying, almost inevitably, there is a suppression element that goes on. The, the individual who's struggling with that emotion has tension, frustration, question marks, and they want to say something about it, but I don't know if it's going to get me anywhere good. And so they wind mm -hmm. up um, you know, holding back. And yeah. one of the things I've mentioned about narcissism is that they want to empty you of yourself and fill oh, you yeah. with them. 
And so it, it's it's uh, to their vested interest to to keep you from feeling like you have a voice. That's right. That's right. And so that empowering moment is so important, particularly for this. And for them to see, hey, wait a minute, that's what's going on. Okay. okay so now when we talk about uh, the narcissist, and you mentioned it's its own unique brand of difficulty, what is it that makes that narcissist so susceptible to being dismissive towards that person that's right there in front of them? I, it's power and control. It's this need to, as you said, kind of drain your resources, your internal resources, your external resources, um, and just have this total control over you from, and, and access to your thoughts, even when they're not present, access to your emotions, even when they're not present, um, you know, to, to give them that sense, uh, you know, but one, they feel entitled to it, right? You're, you're, you're their property, you're their object. So they feel entitled to that. You don't have separate opinions. You don't have your own emotions. You have what they create for you. You have the narrative that they're going to give to you. Um, and so I, with that mindset, that's the only way they're going to approach you because if you have anything of your own, you know, then they have to confront their own stuff and they're not going to do that. That's highly threatening to them, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you making this point or this distinction because it's so easy for the individual who's on the receiving end of the narcissist dominance and control, like you say, to think, well, what did I do? Right. And what I'm hearing you say is, well, you showed up because they already have that inclination on the inside. But that right. leads to another question, though. And that is, if you have been on the receiving end of this narcissistic domination and these individuals are wanting to run roughshod, what is it on the inside of the recipient that makes them disinclined to uh, to uh, to kind of uh, do what is necessary right up front so that they're not going to get uh, down in the ditch with that narcissist? Yeah. So in the beginning of these relationships, even friendships, coworkers, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even have to be an intimate partner. Um, it doesn't look like that in the beginning. So we could have all the information in the world, but we're still susceptible to it because it doesn't look unhealthy. Now, if you, and, and I almost look at it as preventative medicine, why I talk about it, because it, it does look different, but it doesn't look bad. That's the problem. It doesn't look unhealthy. And it makes you feel really good. So why wouldn't you want to engage with somebody who tells you you're amazing, makes you feel special, makes you feel smart, makes you feel beautiful, you know, is taking you places and introducing you to things. And, you know, the other thing I like to say is, is it's there. I think there's this, I know there's this misconception that weak people go for narcissists and, and that's not always true. Narcissists routinely go for people who are successful, who are in the limelight, who have something that they can take and knock them down, right? As a as a result of taking this from them. So it's not like it's somebody who has no backbone and can't say no. It's people that, you know, that that are confident. Part, this sounds kind of strange to put it this way. Part of the problem that you can have is you don't think like a narcissist. Correct. And, and as Correct. a result, it's like, well, if you're going to be cooperative with me and helpful, then I like doing that too. 
And so you just kind of go with the flow. And, and right. then that begs another question. And that is, does the narcissist know exactly what they're doing? Or do they realize they're going to exploit you? So I know there's a whole bunch of different ideas on. It can be on a nature nurture kind of thing, but it, I yeah, think it's bigger than that. I do too. Um, so I think, you know, in the beginning, I, I do believe there's a part of them that truly looks at you as this amazing, incredible phenomenal person, soulmate, best person they've ever met in their life. And they idealize this, but they put them on such a pedestal, right? Um, because it makes them feel good that they were that's able to capture this person. some of that. That's how they're thinking. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, if somebody's telling me, you know, you are the, the, the most amazing woman I have ever met. I am. Tell me more. <laughs> like, yeah. It feels good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what happens is when they put you up so high, you can never live up to these unrealistic expectations that they have. Um, and then you could blink wrong, right? You could not call them back in, a in what they view as a timely fashion. And when that happens, then you're going to be punished. And that's where I think the awareness of what they're doing comes into play. I, you know, it's, I don't necessarily think that they, in, not all, I think sometimes it's more about how to gain power and control over you and however you respond to it, whatever you go through, well, that's on you. Okay. You know, uh, one of the things you can, um, in fact, what I tell folks is uh, if they're thinking, well, is this person a narcissist or what? I'll tell them, well, watch how they respond to conflict. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in just like you said, they want control. And as long as you're flowing with me, hey, I'm, I'm great. 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 But as, uh, once you start showing yourself to be a little too distinct, and mm -hmm. having different pre uh, preferences or interpretations, that's when that narcissistic yeah. and discounting uh, elements uh, come on out. So it's in the uh, the moments of conflict that you're going to see a person's level or not of yes. authority that's there. Would that resonate with where you are? I, I mean, I, I tell people who are in the beginning stages of dating to cancel plans with them last minute because you don't, you know, you, 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 your car broke down or you don't feel yeah. good or whatever to see what their response is because a healthy minded person will obviously be disappointed, but a narcissist may respond by never calling you again or calling you six months later or completely screaming at you for, you know, or saying, okay, that's, that's fine. And then punish you for it three weeks later. Yeah. So there's always going to be some sort of, um, punishment for that. And I think when you change their schedule, their time, time's a big thing, right? When you change their schedule or their timing and you throw them off and you exactly, like you said, see how they respond. Yeah. Disagree with them about something, even about something subtle like food. Uh, you're making so much sense. Uh, narcissists will take the victim's position very quickly and readily. And it's like, look what you're doing to me. Look how yes. you're making my life miserable. And so it's all because it's all about me as opposed to what you were implying. Well, maybe something came up or maybe I just don't think the same. And this is not me doing it to you, but uh, uh, they'll they'll have that quick reflex reaction where they get very defensive, but it comes mm -hmm. out as anger. Yes. Now, when, when you talk with people who are dealing with their own mood disorders, but then uh, they begin realizing, well, this individual over here has theirs. And their anger begins to trigger my anger. 
Um, how do you help these individuals uh, come to terms with the difference between unhealthy versus healthy forms of anger? So, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so healthy forms of anger, right? I mean, we all, we're human, right? We all have our moments. We're all going to get angry. I think the key difference is that I tell people is the ability to take an other, somebody else's perspective into consideration. Um, even if you don't agree with it, I think that's a big thing when it comes to anger, because anger, a lot of times is, you know, for majority of people, non-narcissists think anger comes out of frustration, feeling like you're not being heard. Um, Whereas a narcissist, it's a lot of shame, right? It's a lot of, um, yeah, they don't, they feel icky. And as soon as they start to feel that icky, the lashing out starts to happen. Well, in addition to that, they they already in their mind have an expectation that you're supposed to defer Absolutely. to Absolutely, correct. And so you didn't defer to me. No, and you so, didn't include me in your world. Yeah. Your quote world. Yeah. And so then we start getting into the, uh, the, the times when you're dealing with that narcissistic person and here comes the non-productive arguing. And uh, I mean, <laughs> what have you noticed along the lines when, when people get sucked into uh, their, uh, I, I just call it the counter control uh, flow. You're trying to control me. I'll try to control you right back. You are yeah. me. I'm going to argue with you too. Um, what's, what's getting triggered on the inside of that person who gets pulled into that counter control? I mean, I think when you have that loss of, of, when you feel that loss of control, that's when, when we start to engage in behaviors that are not healthy, but maybe are familiar, right? That's when kind of our unhealthy maladaptive strategies that maybe we use growing up that worked for us, but now don't work for us. They all come back into play. And I always tell people, you will never doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how psychologically savvy you are, you will never win with a narcissist the, by engaging with them, Yep. right? You'll never win because you just don't think like them. And they are, the way their brain works and the way they calculate things to have a comeback or to somehow punish you later on, you, people that don't have that personality style just don't think like that. I think as psychologists who work in that area, we can, you know, people say like, how did you know they were going to respond like that? Right. I think when you look at it from the outside, you can see the blueprint, but when you're in it, you can't and understandably. So they'll go at them and go at them, but they will never win. Which and underscores why it's so important for you and I to help educate folks about what you're dealing with. If yeah. you're, once you're able to see, Hey, wait a minute, they have these nefarious schemes and you're kind of a tool to be used. And, and this is why they do this. This is coming from the inside of them. The only yep. way that you're involved is you happen to be the player on the stage with them. Cause if you're not there, they're going to do someone it else will else. be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. All right, now uh, when we talk about boundaries and this is one of my pet peeves, uh, sometimes people say, well, boundaries means you just say no a lot. Uh, I, I don't want to do this and you can't make me do that. Um, it's, it's much bigger than that. So yeah. let's talk about when, when you talk about uh, establishing your boundaries and who you are, what are we talking about in a much fuller sense? So boundaries are the way and or what you let people know as far as how you are willing to be treated and what you're willing to tolerate. Yeah. Who I am. Now, who, right. And, but here's the thing. And I think this is where people get confused just because you set a boundary 
doesn't mean that the other person's going to abide by that boundary. And so all people come in and say, I set a boundary and it didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? Because they still did blah, 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 blah. But that's not the goal of a boundary. 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. a narcissist isn't going to, they're not, well, I take that back. They're not going to respond to your boundaries in the way they think, but you can set and this is what I work with people on is setting very creative types of boundaries in very creative ways so that they can walk away from the situation feeling empowered, at peace, at ease, less anxious, whatever the case may be, regardless of what the other person does. It's not just saying no. It's sometimes saying, you know, writing a sentence that has three words in it instead of writing a novel and a text okay. message. You know, the way I <laughs> would tell folks is, um, you know, when you establish your assertiveness, when you establish your boundaries and you say, here's what it is and this is what it means. How many times does that narcissistic person come back and say, hey, great point. Right. <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to happen. Gonna no. happen. Well, I sure do appreciate that perspective. No. And so when no. The, because they won't say that, they come back and tell you and me, well, it just didn't work. Right. Uh, well, it works if you're going to uh, stand firmly. That's on right. what you are and, and uh, what you believe you're going to follow through. And it, it would be nice if they would like it and, um, and praise you for it and mean it. Um, but if they don't, then it's because right. it's, that's where they are. That's what, they, that's what they carry on the inside of themselves. But if they do praise it, there's a reason. I'm so proud of you. It's not, it's not, it's not yeah. that. And I, I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One is entitled Ready, Set, Connect. Now, narcissists are quite capable of throwing you off balance, so this course keeps you focused on the skills and the mindset that are necessary for positive connections. And inside the course, uh, we have various modules, that, and in, inside each module are lessons, and each lesson contains a video, uh, written documents, and then questions that go along with it. We'll discuss things like how to have good conflict resolution skills, building empathy, how to be the authentic self that you need to be. If you're interested in enrolling, you can go to our uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, click the link for courses. You'll find Ready, Set, Connect there as well as the others. I hope that you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. You know, the other thing too I, that I think is one of the most important things with boundaries is, you know... I tell people to start super small, so, so, so almost insultingly small, because the worst thing you can do is set a boundary, but then not set it the next time. Because as soon as you have inconsistent boundaries, we call it intermittent reinforcement, just a fancy way of saying, right, inconsistent, you end up creating more of the behavior that you're trying to get rid of. And I'd rather somebody set a, the tiniest boundary than set something, but then the next time maybe they're they didn't sleep because the narcissist kept them up all night or they don't feel good because they're physically sick all the time and they just don't have the energy or mental energy to set that boundary again. Um, it's not even just about losing credibility. You literally increase that behavior that you're trying to get rid of. I give you an illustration. I, I was talking to a, a man in this case, whose, uh, whose wife was just constantly, you know, the consummate nitpicking and, and on his back and uh, you have to do things my way and bossy and all of this. And, um, I guess it was a weekend morning. He was, um, saying, well, I need to run to the store real quick. And I got to, I just have one little thing I have to pick up before I uh, go on with the rest of the day. And her comment was, well, let me go with you. 
And he explained to me, well, what that means is I'm going to go jump in the shower and, and uh, get dressed and put on my makeup. And um, he said, you know, by the time she does all of that, I could have been there and back and, and been doing some other things. <laughs> so I said to him, well, the next time she does that, why don't you just go ahead and run the just just leave <laughs> and and, and uh, he right. just looked at me like carter what a genius you are right and, and because it we, doesn't occur to them i've got to convince them yeah and i've got to get their concurrence and it's like well actually if what you're doing is sane and ethical and moral and responsible right. do you really have to convince that person and so and that's what you're talking about sometimes it's just yeah. in those little small things yeah okay now yeah. um that's a really good example. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> I, well, that. <laughs> I had another one. That, and this lady, uh, same kind of thing. Uh, uh, she she was talking about how she wanted to, uh, uh, her her uh, parents lived two hours or so away. And uh, they always in, in, insisted over the holiday season, she needed to come to their house on December the 24th and stay until January the 1st. And uh, she said, you know, it just kind of ruins everything with me and my family and my kids here. And I said, well, what uh, what do you think would be a good idea? And she said, well, what I'd like to do is go on the afternoon of the 25th and then come back the next day. It's just two hours away. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why don't you try that? And again, it's like, you think yes. I could? Right. Like, yeah, just do it. Well, she's going to complain. Like, yeah, she complains a lot anyway. So just go ahead and do mm -hmm. it. That's right. I think there's this, you know, I guess after years of being manipulated and years of being broken down and your sense of self and sense of identity. The fact that that doesn't even come up as an option in your own mind, I think goes to show people just how controlled they are and how yeah. they're trained to think that their own ideas are wrong or they're doing something bad or they're I'm the bothered. issue. They're the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just call it the corrosive effect. It, uh, over yes. time, it's just like I, I've, I've completely lost my sense of well-being. Right. It's not going to do any good anyway. And at some point, right. it's like, well, just be you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, this takes us into another uh, term that's very common in our field, and that's the term trauma bonding, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of what you're talking about. Can, can you describe what that looks like and how that fits yeah. into the narcissist wanting to be this overwhelming person? Yeah. So I think people um, have, think, I think what people think it is initially is that you both have these traumatic events in your lives that bring you together. But that's, that's not what it is. It's, it's kind of what I was talking about with that intermittent reinforcement, meaning you in this psychological behavioral way become dependent on each other, but for different reasons. And it's a very unhealthy, um, just intertangled, chaotic well, codependent codependency. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In um, fact, uh, <laughs> for different reasons, but it, to a mat, it's almost as if the best way I can describe it is if the other person were to leave, you don't exist. You feel you don't exist. Your identity is totally tied up in this other person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, I'm counting on you to, uh, to, to respond so that I can be okay. And the other person's exactly. like, well, I'm kind of doing the same thing in reverse. Exactly. And so you wind up having this unspoken agreement. That's what we do. And it's in, in its own sick kind of way. Yeah. And there, there's where it comes down to, well, maybe I need to go ahead and make my own separate decisions. Yes. 
And if you'd like to go along with me, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Excuse me. But if you don't, I still need to do that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. you mentioned just a few minutes ago that the narcissist can have their issues of guilt and shame, but the implication is you have to get over your own issues yeah. of guilt and shame because uh, yeah. you know that when you start acting differently and practices assertiveness that we're implying that they're going to come down on you like, how dare you? So mm -hmm. how does that work? I, I prep people for what's going to happen. Um, you know, because you always, obviously you want to make sure that they're safe because as soon as people start to set boundaries, as soon as people start to figure out what this blueprint is and can predict the narcissist behavior, the narcissist starts to lose control over you. And when the narcissist feels that they are losing their grip on you emotionally, physically, financially, sexually, it doesn't even matter. But when they start to feel that they're losing their grip, that's when you're going to start to see a lot of that anger and a lot of that really kind of just horrific behavior and, and you know and... the threats and the character assassination and and all of that because they're going to do whatever they can to discredit you to make you feel like you're the problem and to scare the crap out of you yeah yeah um <clears throat> okay now implied in everything that you and i are talking about is if we're going to be able to stand up to that narcissist and make our own way, and sometimes it, it may require uh, exiting a relationship, or if you're not able to do that for whatever extraneous reasons, uh, greatly limiting some of your exposure, you need to be pretty certain about who you are from the inside out. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and you know, we want to have that sense of uh, strength and well-being. And that's where I want to go back to your, uh, the books that you've written, the, uh, the workbooks, finding your calm, finding your good habits. And I, I'm, I'm making the strong assumption that uh, you didn't write those books uh, just for, you know, just average of the meal kind of things. It's like, no, I need to, because unfortunately there are other individuals who don't want me to be in a calm position and who do lead me towards bad habits. So talk about that inside out kind of approach towards being able to, uh, to, uh, you know, make some inroads with that narcissist. Yeah. So, um, and we had talked about this before, but you know, when people say, okay, well, how, how do I, how, how do I do this? Right. How do I set a boundary? How do I say no? And my response is similar to yours. Well, you, you, you just say no, right? You, you, <laughs> just, you just leave when they're in the shower. Um, the behavior is behavior is behavior, right? But there is a reason why it feels like it's the, it's like climbing a mountain um, because of all this internal stuff that you need to sift through in order to do it. So I tell people to start small for this reason, but I also tell people, and this is what the book focuses on, both books actually focus on, if you wait to feel ready, if you wait until you feel better, you're going to be waiting forever. The only way that mood shifts and the only way you're thinking is challenged is to give yourself a new experience, which is that new behavior. Um, and so what the books focus on is, is that approach, more of that kind of acceptance and commitment type approach to things where the behavior change comes first. And with that learning to sit with your discomfort rather than constantly trying to do whatever you can to not feel it, to avoid it, because that makes it just larger. That discomfort can come from just having been habituated in the opposite direction. Yeah. And so anytime you try something that's a little new, uh, it's kind of like, well, I'm not too sure about this. 
Um, and it, it, it comes down to having the right beliefs about who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would tell folks all the time and on my videos uh, on YouTube, I talk about how worth is not up to a vote. Uh, right. Your personal like worth is a birthright. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have worth by virtue of the fact that you are you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's simple. And yet it's profound at the same yeah. time. And if someone comes along and says, but in my mind, you don't have worth, right? I have a simple response to that. And that is, we think differently, right? Because <laughs> right. I'm going to go ahead right. and hold on to it. That's right. That's right. And, and when, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic personality you know, for, for years, you lose that sense of worth and that identity and who you are. So it, it's, it's the, the discomfort I think comes. And I've seen this a lot when people leave the relationships, they, they genuinely don't know who they are. They don't know what their interests are, what colors they like, what music they like, what food they like, because they were told who yeah. they were this entire time. Um, and so when they, I remember one, person in particular, it was one of the most profound things I've ever heard from somebody I worked with. When she finally left her husband after 20 some years, three kids, he didn't let her work. So she has no earning potential. It was just a really horrible situation. She said to me, she's like, I don't even know what side of the bed I want to sleep on. Like they were these tiny little decisions that we take for granted, but that somebody who doesn't feel they have a sense of self or self worth can't decide. And so what these books do, I think is it, it really kind of spells out for you, the steps behaviorally, what you need to do to regain that. But at the same time, how to sit strategies to deal with the pain and the discomfort that you're going to have as you go through this. Yeah, the strategies are going to uh, emanate from uh, those uh, core beliefs you have. And yeah. I think it's essential for us also to remind people when you do say, well, here's who I am, these are my preferences, and then you uh, uh, proceed to follow through with it, the narcissist isn't going to just step aside and say, well, here's the clear path, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, they're going to fight back. And That's they're going right. to tell you you're selfish. We're, actually, they'll, they'll uh, have some choice words they'll throw at you and name mm-hmm. calling and all the rest. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, it's going to be essential to prepare yourself, knowing that it's on its way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's not natural for a lot of people. No, I think when they when they get the courage to leave or even if they're left. Right. Um, when they are able to identify that blueprint or that pattern. So there, there's a little bit of predictability. I think that gives them a little bit of confidence that they're able to manage. But I agree with you. I I think the fear, and we hear people say this all the time, sometimes the abuse you endure after you leave is actually worse than the abuse you endure while you're connected to them in the relationship. So, And they stay stay inside your head even when they're not even physically present. That's right. That's right. Um, And so those boundaries have to be in place even when you're not physically in front of them. It's it's so essential for us to go back to some of the things you were saying in the beginning of our interview here, Dr. Zuckerman. Um, these are people who are who are disturbed. Yeah, uh, they're broken people, and they have their own major set of issues. But they want to make you think that you're the one who's disturbed, right. and they're the gold standard. Uh, and it's it's going to be necessary to see through that and to remind yourself: yeah. Well, I get to decide what I believe about me and what does common sense say. 
-hmm. And common sense doesn't say that, uh, that I have to just be quiet and not be me and have to acquiesce to somebody else's control and insults and all of that. That's not exactly great motivation. And eventually over time, if you continue in that route of, of becoming stronger and, and, you know, developing that sense of self further, they're going to get bored with you, which is exactly what you want. They're yeah. going to realize, okay, I can't, I can't get to her. I can't, you know, I could, you know, get engaged two weeks later. I can take them on the same trips, post it all over social media. But if you still don't respond, eventually they get, they get bored. They'll still come back every now and then they'll do something on a holiday or birthday or whatever. But you you end up making yourself um, not accessible to them, not yeah. just physically, but just emotionally and cognitively. And that is the best thing that you can do. And I, you know, once you start to see those patterns, you don't unsee them. You, you once you see it, you can't unsee it. I, I want to close with uh, with your thoughts on one huge topic, and that's uh, self love. Mm-hmm. Um, the narcissist will say, "Well, that sounds pretty selfish to me." Of course, they want you to um, admire and adore them. Love them, right? Um, really, it, uh, it's it's impossible for you to stand up for someone that you don't really care for, and that starts with caring for yourself. I, I care mm-hmm. about who I am. I love who I am. Uh, talk about the necessity of that. Yeah, I mean, res- I think I, I like to say it is like respecting almost respecting your sense of self. I think it's really difficult for people who have been in these, in the depths of these dynamics to, to love themselves. I I think it's such a hard skill because they, they're so far down that they don't find anything lovable about them. So I, I like to start with things that maybe they're grateful for, right. And you start to slowly build on that or things that they've accomplished, like distinct yes or no. Did I shower today? Yes or no. Did I help somebody today? Yes or no. And the more you, the more things you have that are yeses in that, in that path of things that you value, then I think you develop that sense of self-worth and self-love. But I, I think to initially say, I need to love myself more. They don't have the tools, but I don't think that you need that to start to move forward, but I do think you need it eventually. That makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, I know you're in the profession for the same reason I am. And that is, you know, there, there's some hurting people out there and, you know, you and I, we're both human beings. It's like, yeah, I know what that feels like. Uh, and then if, uh, if we can pull our resources together and say, well, might we be able to help one another and learn from one another and assist each other and encourage each other, then uh, maybe some of us can get beyond all the dysfunction that the narcissist brings. And, you know, the narcissist, they're going to spew whatever it is they spew at us uh, the whole way through. But it's like, yeah, I know that's what you do. Uh, yeah. Go ahead right. and be true to who I am. Yes. Yes. So, hey, thank you so much for lending this your is great. to our team healthy. That's what we call ourselves here. And uh, so uh, on team healthy, we stand for dignity, respect, and civility. DRC, Dr. C, stand for dignity, respect, and civility. Okay. You need to come up with a Dr. Z. I uh, do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dignity, respect, and zeal or something like zeal. that. Zest. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, look, I, I, I'm hoping that this is not the last time that you and I are going to be able to cross paths. I, I really like the way you think and how you communicate. And I'm sure your patients are fortunate to have you oh, as your therapist. You. So yeah, uh, best wishes to you too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
All right. And uh, I hope uh, Team Healthy, I hope you have a, a good rest of the week. Look your stuff up on Amazon. It's there or some of the other places where you get your books. And I think you'll be glad you did. All right, uh, Dr. Zuckerman, one more time, thank you. And uh, I'll see the rest of you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.